to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movie by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler classic, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute screen time per episode. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm imploring you, call me Sully. I'm the creator of Bull Durham Minute, as well as Locked On MLB and a lot of other stuff. On today's episode, we're breaking down Minute 128, which opens with Al asking Fred where his wife fits in this romantic situation and ends with Al not recommending that they step into the alleyway as a solution to their disagreement. Well, someone I would never step in an alleyway with because I think he could probably knock my lights out. Returning for another episode, an accomplished actor and director, the star of the TV series White Collar, played FBI agent Peter Burke. It's Tim Decay. Hey, Tim. Sully, how are you? I'm excited to talk about this next minute. Uh, I can't wait. But we have to wait a little bit longer because we got to bring back the man I like to call my brother because Mm -hmm. biologically he is. But he's not just my brother. He is the writer, producer of such shows as Riverdale, Supergirl, Star Trek Discovery, the Holiday Inn Express series, The Smart Show, which we worked together on very proudest moment of my life and i believe that you two got to know each other through the show revenge if i'm not if i'm not mistaken that is correct okay correct i will tell you it's ted sullivan it's ted sullivan okay oh yeah yeah right right i I was very excited uh when tim said yes to the role that he was cast in uh and we met on i think it was your first day of shooting it was Uh, yeah and I came into his trailer and I knocked on the door and I said, hey, I'm not sure you know um, the backstory of this show. And he said, I don't. And I said, maybe it would help if I told you the backstory. He said, yes, it would. And I laid out, oh, she's a ninja and her father was killed. And you were like, really? Well, that's a lot to take in right now. But uh, yeah, I thought it was mean of Ted to tell me that my character had a German accent. When uh, I started using it, and then the director said, cut, cut, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you yeah. speaking with a German accent? The guy's from Bacoima. Why are you saying that? <laughs> well, Ted's uh, always known as a prankster. Oh, you know? Yeah. Well, isn't that the worst That's when you, when everyone says, like, prankster. oh, man, he's a prankster on the set. Let me tell you something. As, as someone who was a former producer and director, I loved pranks on the set. Those were the best. <laughs> They did because they just they sped along the production process <laughs> greater, didn't they? Yeah. Here's a sentence that has never been said. Remember that prank? That was hilarious. That's never <laughs> been said. Um, Prankster. That's kind of an old-fashioned na- a word now, isn't it? It's like shenanigans. It yeah, shenanigans or, or or chum or he says uh, uh, like in this yeah. scene. Uh, or, yeah. uh, uh, he says. You don't want you don't want your daughter with a heel like me. I haven't called you a heel, not yet. Not yet. Heel's got heel's <laughs> got to come back. Heel yeah, has I to love come heel. back. He's There's a heel. nothing wrong with heel. He's a heel. No, there isn't anything like wrong. We no. need we need insults that are not connected to someone's ethnicity, gender, or think mm. Heel. Heel knows no race. No. Heel knows no gender. Heel. Heel is colorblind. Yeah, no, anyone, anyone can be a heel. If you just, if you dream it and wish it, you too can be a heel. If you try hard enough. 
Yes. Yeah. So, yeah that's, um, uh, that's well, this is a great this this is a great minute. I have to say, um, it, it, and what is particularly amazing about this minute, I feel, is it lives in one shot for the entire time, mm-hmm. and that means the director, who is brilliant, is trusting these two actors to carry the scene. You're not relying on editing. You're not relying on music. There's no music in the scene. Mm-hmm. You are you are relying on the truth of the words and the performance, and there's not even blocking in the scene. There's a little bit of blocking when the waiter comes in. Yes, I was going to say when the waiter comes in, but um, but even that's awkward. That's a moment of like, ooh, you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be seeing this particular moment. No, but I love that the I love that the waiter comes in because yes. it, it it's it's just another bit of. I, I I would hope that Weiler says to somebody, "Hey, shouldn't a waiter bring in the drinks at some point? Don't he should probably come back at some point." And it's it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous because it it keeps us in reality. It mm-hmm. j- just when who knows maybe subconsciously if we're locked in that kind of confrontational side sh- two two shot of the side of people, as we were saying in the last podcast about how it almost seems like a boxing match that the waiter coming in, well, I got to do my job. I got to deliver these drinks. Uh, no matter what you guys are talking about, I get off at two. So, <laughs> so, here, so here are the drinks. Uh, I read the table enough not to ask you guys if you want a menu, but other than that here, I, I, I love it. I love it. It's, a, it's the best shift of his life right here. But, <laughs> but it is, it is, it's a stare down. We're looking at a stare down of two yeah, we are. very good actors who have been entrusted in a scene. You're right, Ted, that the, the Weiler is trusting that these two will be able to pace it, will be able to play the emotion of it. And because it's a staring contest, basically that, it would feel like cutting would be a blink. Like who's yeah. going to blink first in this particular uh, confrontation? And you want to see both of their faces. You want to see how they're both reacting because you're not sure is, you know, cause is one of them going to take a swing at the other? Is someone going to say the wrong thing? There's a lot, there's, there's, there's a lot of tension that's right here and these are kind of like two magnets that are kind of pointing at each other. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the the fact that they are both in perfect profile mm-hmm. and they're, they're roughly the same height. Mm-hmm. And so that they're, they are, the staring contest that's going on here needs to play out and it needs to, the, the whole film is trust the audience. And I, I was, I forgot to bring this up in the last minute, but one of the things that, is interesting when you watch films from this era and that is the big budget hollywood films were aimed for adults they were aimed for grown-ups and so a film like this uh, they weren't aiming for the teenage audience the teenagers got the garbage the teens will watch anything but when you're going to get your biggest stars and myrna Loy was a gigantic star at the time is a high profile film high profile Directors was not a small budget film by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. and it and got the big, huge, you know, splashing opening and everything. 
that it's a film that they say, we're going to trust this audience. We're, we're not going to do bells and whistles. This is We're going to trust them that they're going to watch this scene, which on paper is two dudes sitting in the back of an Applebee's staring at each other. And they're, you'll be transfixed the entire movie. Yeah, Tim, what, oh, go for it, yeah. No, please, please, Dad. No, I, I was just going to ask you a question, because, like, I have a thought about the writing of this scene, but you are an actor and a director, and I'm, and I'm wondering, from your perspective, what would have been the pitfalls that they avoided from an acting standpoint, and what are your thoughts as a director looking at this sequence, too? I, I, uh, thanks for asking that. I think something about this scene that I'm not going to say is different about the others, but this scene is extremely honest. They are both honest with each other. They're not dancing around anything. They're talking about exactly what they need to know. And, and he's asking him and, and he's answering him and there is no, uh, there's no small talk. So the framing of it, it, it just reflects that, obviously. I wonder, I wonder, when was this shot done? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, you probably what? did the master, which was in the previous minute. The, the, the one, Ted, you were talking about that was messy, which has, if you notice, uh, this cute older couple, they're, they're mm. background performers, and I, I love them in it. Um, but I wonder, so, you know, sometimes when you're filming, for those of you who are not versed in film and, and television, you, you film usually the master uh, so that you're wide enough, you, the master meaning the whole space, so that actors can maybe maybe take a couple times at it and get get a sense of ah this is a scene this is where the scene lives it, it starts to drop inside them and then you go closer bring the camera closer i wonder did did weiler do do all the close-ups and then go up to the guys and say hey i'm just gonna get one last shot where i bring the camera back i'm just gonna get the both of you on this uh, do one or two takes and then, and then we'll go home. Or did, or did he, did he do it right at the beginning when, mm. when the guys were fresh with the scene? Uh, I have no idea. Did he tell them to trust themselves, trust the words? There's, I don't, did he share with them that he doesn't see a lot of movement in this scene or did they just pick it up on it from each other? Whatever it was, man, there was, there was such trust. You talk about trust. There was such, uh, Sully, you talk about trusting the audience. There was, there seems to be, I would lay a lot of money down to say that there was a tremendous amount of trust amongst the actors and the director in this movie because mm -hmm. they were going to very vulnerable places and, and everybody needed to feel that they could depend on the other person and fall down, that, that they could go to the highest branch and fall and fail and, and have somebody say, boy, that was brave. Yeah, let's try something different, though. But 
Uh, I would love to know when they shot that particular uh, profile shot on the day. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you you mentioned about trust with the director because Myrna Loy almost did not take this movie. She because she had heard that uh, Weiler did take after take, and she was like, "I don't want I, I don't want to be on set doing a hundred thousand takes oh, of wow. the same scene." And she heard he was difficult, but then she loved him. The entire cast she loved him. Uh, in fact, I I believe that um, uh, Kathy O'Donnell, who plays their daughter, went mm -hmm. on to marry Weiler's brother. Um, like the whole, really? like, yeah, everyone was oh. very, very close knit and they felt very safe because he kept pushing them to just be honest and true. And yeah. that's why I think you're also seeing, there's, there is camera movement in the, in the movie, but he's very careful about when he uses the camera, like mm -hmm. moves the camera. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. so it's not overly orchestrated. You're feeling like you're in a, you're, you're just in the reality of the moment. But there are little things, Paul, you mentioned this, that, you know, they keep everything in focus. Even in the previous minute, when we're looking over the, each man's shoulder, they're in focus. So they're yeah. still present in the yeah. shot. They're yeah, still yeah. very much aware there. And, and, and I, the other thing, you know, you said that there's trust, mutual trust amongst the actors. But the thing that I love about this scene from a writing standpoint is even though he's disappointed, that Frederick March is disappointed in Dana Andrews and protective of his daughter, there is respect and love underneath that frustration. Like, it's not hate. It's no, disappointment. no. And and one thing I wanted to, to bring up along those lines, actually, there's two things I want to bring. You, you mentioned Ted that um, Myrna Loy was uh, reluctant to work with William Wyler, but was surprised to see that he did not live up to his reputation. That makes me think that you know the reputation was based upon Mrs. Miniver right. and the pictures that he did before going to war. So this was his first film coming back from war, mm. Of, mm. Uh, like like everyone in the film, a very different man. So maybe the indulging of doing take after take of their take, like with Teresa Wright in in Mrs. Miniver, was no longer uh, it was no longer in, in his arsenal for mm. making best years of our lives. I think one one thing that happens when you break these films down, like we're doing in this podcast, where we're focusing on the one scene, it's also important to remember what happened in the previous scene. In the previous scene, Frederick March had a sense of helplessness, that he was in a room not able to deal with his daughter, not understanding even, like, his wife had to do the legwork on that. And he tried to be the tough man, and it was not working out, which led him no. to be in the hallway by himself. So this is his response to that scene. I may not be able to com comfort my daughter the way that my wife can, but I can sit this guy down man-to-man and this is him basically saying, I felt helpless in that previous scene, but I'm not helpless here. And this is a very male scene after watching a very female scene. Yeah. And this is also a scene, a very beautiful scene, a very beautifully written scene where he shows, I mean, he's very, you know, he speaks in a very kind of tough, like almost gritting his teeth sort of way but he expresses his love for his daughter and has 
the you know when when you know Dan Andrews says, "Oh, you 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 know you put her on the matter, you gave her the degree, whatever he says in that that he says no, she volunteered it." And he has one of my favorite lines in the film said, "It may seem kind of corny and mid-Victorian, but we tell each other things." Yeah. And <laughs> what he's saying there is, we have a tight family that means something, and the bonds of our family are sacred. And obviously they're not for you because you're effing married and you have your eyes on my daughter. So if you are going to do something to break the bonds of this family, you're going to answer to me right here and now in this bar and grill. And this is, this is a, I think in so many ways, that moment when he was alone in the hallway, that was the scene where he reunited with Myrna Loy and there's so much happiness in the previous scene, he's alone and like smoking and frustrated that he couldn't do anything. This is him saying, I can do this. I'm going to be a man here. This is a man moment. You had your woman moment. I'm having my man moment, but a moments filled with tenderness and love, which shows that it's not about being machismo. It's about, no. I'm going to keep this family together. There's a, I'm having enough trouble keeping this family together without you schmuck coming in yeah. here and trying yeah. to seduce my yeah. daughter. Yeah, and and he even says, uh, "I happen to be fond of you too." Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is just—it's beautiful it's because I think, it, oh, it's gorgeous because I I think, uh, Sully, what you were saying was that yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a man for my family here, and this my the relationships of my family mean so much to me, but yet they. I also think there's a tentativeness, not a, no, that's not the right word. There is um, part of the, part of the tension, at least I felt, was whether or not the relationship of Al and, and uh, uh, what's his, Freddie, right? Fred, Al and yeah. Fred's relationship would stand. Because there's something sacred about that trio of Al, Fred, and Homer. And when Homer and Al's relationship is also jeopardized, that I felt that the characters realized that too and didn't want that because it, it's a, it was a sac- it's a sacred trio. I, I completely agree. And I think that's why I said there's disappointment and frustration, but not hate. You know, yeah. that there, there's, yeah. there's love behind it. And and he's saying to him, don't 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 be a heel. You know, like right. Dana Andrews right. says at one point, uh, you don't want her with a heel like me, which is a, to me. I, the, I think this scene is so beautifully crafted on the page. It's obviously beautifully written, uh, beautifully acted, but it's beautifully written because what he yeah. says when what Dana Andrews is saying in that moment is, I think I'm a heel. And he was, you know, like and and in many ways he thinks he doesn't he doesn't deserve the daughter. He's like sneaking around a little bit with yeah. her and, and stealing moments because really he's a schmuck. He's a bum. He's a heel. And and what Frederick March, what Al says in that moment is, I never called you a heel, not yet. Because what he's saying is you're still not a heel yet. I'm trying to figure out if you are or not. Right. And that 
that lands on Dana Andrews. And so that's when the scene gets even, from a writing standpoint, it gets more and more honest and raw to the point where Frederick March doesn't start the scene saying like, I'm rather fond of you. He, He reveals that later after the trust has been reinforced a little bit by Dana Andrews being honest. Yeah. And you know what, to, to what you're saying, the writing is gorgeous uh, because that line, that first line, are you in love with my daughter? That could, be, that could have been, have you been running around with my daughter? Right. Right. Have yeah. you been fooling around with my daughter? What's going on with you? And I can't remember her name. Give me the lowdown. Give me the scoop. Give me the, the, the real deal. No, he, he says the word love. Yeah, Peggy. it's Beautiful. Peggy, by the way. Peggy, Peggy, is the yeah, yeah. He yeah, doesn't, and, he doesn't and, go to any of these typical, well, you know, lesser phrases or lascivious, like. Be, but there's yeah. also a reason Security. for that. Yeah. But because Peggy earlier said, "I'm in love with him," so yeah, he yeah, knows yeah, yeah. his daughter is in love with him. So by throwing, are you in love with with her? I think is a very telling thing. It's because his his daughter's deep in it now. She's in, and he wants to know where where do he's starting right at. I need to know where you are right now. Right, and it's also like, are you just are you just lusting after my daughter, as opposed to being in love with her? And where does your wife fit in with this? It's sort of he's he's asking these questions because because he just witnessed his daughter, who in his eyes is probably still a 14, 15 year old girl in his brain. Oh, yeah. And in the last scene, she said the line, I'm going to break that marriage up. And he's seeing that his daughter is not only fallen for someone, but is going to be the other woman. Yeah. And like yeah. this is not the daughter that I my daughter is going to be a homewrecker. But it's and, also not what I fought World War Two for. Right. This isn't no, what yeah. I I didn't yeah. I didn't spend three years no. of my life fighting overseas an enemy and then to come home to have for this. That wasn't what the war was about. Yeah. No. And, and, and that, and I'll tell you one other thing that was, the, and I'm going to make a sly reference to. We had talked earlier about uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as another great Frederick March performance. One of the reasons why I love that film so much is because there's no music score, and the uh, the drama just plays out. Uh, in this film, the uh, the music score um, by uh, Hugo Friedhofer, uh, Weiler hated the music. He hated mm-hmm. it. It was put in there kind of against his will by Samuel Goldwyn, who wanted the big flowery music score. I happen to like the music score, but I also think it interferes. I also think there's a couple points where it interferes. This is a scene where there's no music, and music would have completely neutered this scene. That there's there's silence. Yeah, would have neutered it. Yeah. And, you know, can you imagine if this scene had some sort of flowery or even are you in love with my daughter bum, 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 bum. Yeah. do I have to yeah, ask that, that? It does, yes that I am of, bum, 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 bum. that kind of music lives in Robin Hood you know it doesn't yeah. live in 
Great movie. Yeah, great movie. Great movie. Great. Welcome, to, welcome, to, welcome to Best Years of Our Lives, man, where we talk about the film Adventures of Robin Hood one minute of screen time. <laughs> out of time. Um, I, I just I just love this scene. I think, you know, I if I had any final thoughts on it, I would just say that it's it's uh, an incredibly well crafted scene from a, on the page. The actors, you feel an affection between the two of them. They each mm -hmm. have their own truth that they are sticking to. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to crawl their way back out of this darkness that they're in, which is, it, the and it's an incredibly wonderfully directed and edited sequence. I, I just absolutely, the restraint of both the of the performance and the restraint of the direction and editing, I think make it in, feel incredibly modern and powerful. Yes, and a, and a well shout said. out to a Daniel Mandel, who is the uh, film editor of this picture, and it is uh, one of the three Academy Awards that he won for best editing. He also won for the Pride of the Yankees, the film about Lou Gehrig with uh, Gary Cooper, who I, the less I say about Gary Cooper, the better. Um, and uh, geez, he gets all the credit and Frederick March gets swept under the carpet. Uh, he won for this film. And then talk about an impressive resume. The other film he won an Academy Award for editing, The Apartment. Oh, that's a great movie. Which was Sean McClain and Jack Lemmon. Jack so Lemmon. He, he won with William Wyler and Billy Wilder. So therefore confusing everyone. Oh, this was one. <laughs> those two directors are always uh, mixed yeah, up there. Yeah. By the way, Tim, you we're going to wrap up this, but I want to ask you this. Do you know the connection of Dana Andrews and the film Airplane? Dana. Uh, is Dana Andrews in Airplane? Is, no, he no. is in the film Zero Hour, which Airplane is a remake of. And the character that Dana Andrews plays in Zero Hour is named Ted Stryker. And when you see Zero Hour, it's, <laughs> yeah. beat, it's beat for beat, sometimes line for line, recreation of Zero Hour, but with a joke thrown in here or there. And, or yeah, like one line change. And it is bizarre to watch it. And Sterling Hayden plays the Robert Stack part, but he plays Ted Stryker, who, as the same with this film, obviously was cast in this role based on the success of this film because in this film he is a That's former right. war pilot who's yeah. traumatized by the events of the war, has PTSD, has trouble keeping a job. And so I was like, well, look at the guy from Best Years of Our Lives. And so... You know, That's he, interesting. he has the, you know, target coming, target's visible if it's coming low enough. And, and you'll have to decide. You'll have to decide. <laughs> By the way, I showed that film to my son, Maddie, who's 15 years old, and he fell off the couch laughing. So he did. The he film holds funny. up. Yeah, the film oh, holds up. Oh, wonderful. Film, but yeah, if you see the film Zero, in fact, there's a, a YouTube Zero clip hour. where they where they intercut the scenes from the two films yeah. and you it's just pretty. realize they had to buy the rights to the film because it's technically a remake 
And like, you know, the boy comes into the cockpit and says, like, I've never been up in a plane before. And he sort of puts it in like, and, and to the point where they had the co-pilot in Zero Hour is played by a real life football player who had a cameo. And so they were insisted on having an athlete be the co-pilot. Oh, wow. And they asked Pete Rose and Pete Rose turned him down. And they asked Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who only agreed to do it if they paid him this amount and enough money to buy a new rug. No. <laughs> yeah. It was a very wow. – but anyway, yes. Roger. But, so, but Roger. Uh, yes, Roger. Roger Murdoch, when he has the brilliant scene where he's like, you tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was Ted Stryker. Dana Andrews was the original. Oh, I've got to watch it now. Ted Stryker. Yeah, wow. it's great. That's terrific. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on uh, as on this minute, Tim? I do. I do have one that I just feel should be expressed. Is the Frederick Marsh's Marsh's um, work uh, with alcohol was wonderful. I thought he. Oh. Uh, I thought his drunk was just was right on it. What it was open and flamboyant it's not quite the right word but open and free when it needed to be and quite subtle and and uh and deep when it also needed to be and that too was what i felt way ahead of its time because back then when people played drunk they played drunk they didn't because it was played for the reality of it it was played yeah. everything felt real even how he reacted when he woke up Everything felt real. Nothing felt like he was being like stage acting. No. Drunk. Well, look at Tim Decay, Ted Sullivan. This has been absolutely fantastic. Tim Decay, you can be found on Instagram at Tim underscore Decay, D-E-K-A-Y. Ted Sullivan, thanks for being on again. You can be found at Carter Hall, K-A-R-T-E-R-H-O-L on instagram i'm at sully baseball on twitter sully baseball podcast on instagram and look at you can find the best minute podcast on apple podcast spotify google play or at the main site thebestminutes.com you can also visit butch's place at the best years of our lives listener cafe on facebook and on twitter at the best minutes podcast well speaking about minute 128 of the best years of our lives. This has been Paul Francis Sullivan, your guest host. We're going to do a few more. Thanks for listening to us and join us next time here at the Best Minutes Podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.